If you have your Bible with you tonight or your phone, whatever it might be, we're going to turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, a wonderful story, astonishing story of the love of Jesus Christ for sinners. I'm going to read the first 17 verses of John chapter 13. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he came, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we thank you that you inspired our brother John to write these words, and we thank you that that same spirit is present now to open our hearts and minds to receive them, to see the beauty of Jesus in his amazing love for us. We thank you, Lord, and we ask your blessing on this time. In in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come tonight to a story that um, most of us are quite familiar with. It's not the first time we've heard this story, and even if it were, um, it would not strike us the way that it would strike a first century Jew. Uh, What we see here is a scandal. Uh, This is a shocking display of love that does the unthinkable in order to accomplish the incomprehensible. Any first century reader would have recognized the great social scandal involved, and, and any spiritually sensitive person will, uh, will sense the greater scandal as Jesus, the very Son of God, stoops to wash the feet of dirty sinners. Uh, John chapter 13 takes place in a context where John is talking about what does it mean to see Jesus. And so in chapter 12, uh, we have the story of some men coming, uh, some Greek men who came to Philip with a request, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And, and John will take that theme and he's developing it in these chapters because John wants us to truly see 
who Jesus is so that we might believe in him and have life in his name. He tells us that's why he wrote the book. But to really see Jesus, we have to see not just a a historical figure. We need to see a man uh, in flesh, a man who loves. And we need to see that love for us. Uh, In John chapter 13 is a dramatic illustration of just that. as, As John introduces the story, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, to the uttermost. This is the story of the love of Jesus for sinners. And it's an incredible story. We'll look first just at what Jesus did. Uh, John uh, crafts the story very carefully. He tells us this is before the feast of the Passover. This is uh, the last supper that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. Uh, remember, the Passover is the, is the celebration of God's great deliverance of his people through an act of judgment. As God um, put to death the firstborn child of of everyone who did not have the blood sprinkled on the doorpost. It was an act of deliverance through judgment and and how um, appropriate, profound, that this Last Supper would be uh, exactly the same. This is a a foretaste. This is a a supper in celebration of another act of deliverance through divine judgment. Uh, The great uh, truth that was shadowed in the Old Testament exodus now coming to its full fruition in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who will not come to judge the firstborn, but being the only begotten of God himself will be condemned. God will put his own son to death to accomplish the salvation for you, for me, for sinners. It's the last meal that Jesus will eat before his death. The disciples, of course, do not know this, but Jesus knows. John tells us he knows. He knew that his hour had come when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart this world to the Father. He knew that he was coming to the end of his earthly ministry. For three years, he'd walked with these men. He taught them. He had been patient and, and born long with them. Uh, these were his chosen disciples. And the life that he had known with them was coming to an end, the life of walking the streets of Jerusalem and, and the dusty roads of Judea. It was, that was coming to an end, this, this, this fellowship that they had, this shared ministry that they had. He would not walk and talk with them as he had done these past three years. He's going to the Father. He's going back to the throne. And he's leaving his disciples behind. And looking at them, John, John tells us he loved them. He, lo- he had loved them, of course, before the foundation of the world. He'd known them intimately before the world was made. And he had loved them dearly while he was in the world, and he will continue to love them when he ascends into heaven. But now, in this moment, he wants to communicate to them that love. And so in the context of all that Jesus knows and, and all that they don't know, in the context of Jesus' great love and their ignorance, and arrogance even, Jesus does this most astonishing thing. He washes their feet. The disciples would be reclining at a table. It's a low table, and they would be probably leaning on their left elbow, uh, their feet behind them. Uh, It was, of course, customary in those days, if you went to someone's house, that the guest, the host, would provide someone to wash your feet for you. Uh, But there's no host here. Remember, they're in a a rented room, a rented facility, and so there's no host, and and everyone understands then that there's no servant available, and and so the feet go unwashed, and and that was fine. No one questioned it. No one in the room would have thought anything about it. It 
certainly and absolutely never entered into a single one of their minds that maybe they should take a towel and wash the feet. You see, because feet washing was for servants. And in, in fact, it was for the lowliest of servants. In fact, it was seen as such a lowly task that many Jews believed it was not proper for a, a Jewish slave. Uh, that this is such a lowly, humiliating thing to do that only Gentile slaves should be asked to wash feet. And so you can understand why it never occurred to the disciples uh, that they would maybe take up the towel. It's an act of just pure humiliation. And John's descriptive language paints the scene in stark colors. uh, The opening verbs are all in the present tense so that we can sort of see the action play by play. He rises from the supper. He lays aside his outer garments, taking a towel, ties it to his waist. John wants us to see, to see this most amazing thing. The eyes of the disciples undoubtedly were glued to Jesus as as he's doing this. Uh, what, What is Jesus doing? Uh, They had seen him do so many miracles. Is he about to do another one? They knew that he was Lord, that he was mighty. What what mighty act was he about to perform? What glory was about to be revealed? What what divine manifestation of power were, were they about to see? And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He kneels down and began washing their feet. Uh, There there would have been a flood of emotion, a shock, disbelief, embarrassment, conviction. You see, this was, it's not just unexpected. It wasn't just surprising. It was, it was overwhelming. It it, it had to feel improper at some basic social level. It it violates all the rules of of social decorum. A Carson Don Carson points out in his commentary that, that no one has been able to find in any Greek or Roman source a single case of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. It simply wasn't done. It's unheard of. And so, and so the hearts and minds of the disciples would have been filled with, with disbelief and, and possibly even dismay. They, they sense intuitively this should not be happening. They they would have been embarrassed by Jesus' self-humiliation and convicted by their own, why didn't they think of it, but but convicted by their own sense of unworthiness. How how could this be that that Jesus would would do this for them? And the the one that they call Lord, the one they profess to be the Messiah of God, is, is now doing this unthinkable thing. And, and if he's Lord, right, how do you say no to the Lord? Who will, who will tell the Lord no? Well, Peter would. <laughs> and Peter does. Uh, Peter, you see, the, the disciples' disbelief and dismay is voiced in, in Peter. Lord, will you wash my, my feet? It's... it's too much. It's, it's too humbling. It's too shameful. It's unbearable. You can maybe sense him recoiling his feet as he says it. And, and Jesus says to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. But Peter does not understand. He wants nothing to do with it. 
You shall never wash my feet. Maybe, maybe these other men, you'll never wash mine. And Jesus says this startling thing. Jesus answered in verse 8, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This isn't just Jesus being polite. This is Jesus teaching them something. Something profound. Something that has to do with life and death. Eternal life and death. You see, if Jesus wants Peter to know that if Peter is not willing to humble himself, excuse me, if, if, G, if Peter is not willing to allow Jesus to humble himself for Peter's sake, Peter cannot share in the salvation that Jesus is accomplishing in his humility. It's a profoundly convicting thing to, to have to accept that, that we need the Lord to do this for us. I remember reading just a while back someone saying that one of the greatest, one of the chief reasons that people don't come to Christ, that they don't embrace Christianity, is because it, it's just too difficult to, to accept that I could be that wicked, that it would take the sacrifice of the Son of God to rescue me. Surely I cannot be that bad. But Peter, here's what Jesus says. And quickly responds, Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my heads. Peter wants Jesus. Peter wants a share in, in Jesus. And, and then Jesus kindly explains, Peter, um, I don't need to wash your hands and your head. You're, you're already washed. You're already clean. And Jesus means by that already, they've already been accepted by the Father. They, they, Peter is one of his own, you see, having loved his own. He's already at peace with God. All of them, except Judas, of course, the one who was to betray him. And, 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 and John tells us uh, that Jesus said that specifically, but not every one of you. Verse 10. For he knew who was to betray him. It's fascinating as you read the story to, to hear John tell us the things that Jesus knew. Because John, you see, wants us to understand what's in the mind of Jesus as he, as he engages in this task. What is he thinking? What does he, what does he know that, that moves him, motivates him to do this incomprehensible thing? We, we need to know what's in the mind of Jesus to, to see the glory of the moment. And so Peter, John wants us to know. Jesus knows, as we've already noted, that he's about to go to the Father. He knows that his hour has come. Further, John tells us, Jesus knows, verse 3, that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. So that's the prelude. That's what John tells us immediately before he tells us the story. This is what Jesus knows. You see, John wants us to understand that this is much more than, than a great rabbi humbling himself. John wants us to see the love, the astonishing love of the God-man. You see, Jesus rose in full awareness of who he was. Jesus rose knowing that he had come from God. He, know, he rose knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. The world, the universe, the angels of heaven, the demons of hell, the devil himself, all are in Jesus' hand. He knows who he is. He is the Father's Son, very God of very God, begotten, not made. 
And Jesus, knowing that, and knowing that he is the Lord and everything has been given into his hands, all power and authority belonging to him, Jesus, in that context, knowing those things, Jesus stands and takes the towel. And as very God, he begins washing dirty feet. As the Lord of the universe, he takes the place of the very lowliest servant and embraces the most humiliating task. You see, that's what John wants you to see. He wants you to see that Jesus knows who he is and he knows exactly what he's doing. And he also knows who was to betray him. Verse 11. He knew who was to betray him. He, he, he knows as he's, he's making his way around the table. He knows when he comes to Judas that this man, his very own disciple, in his mind, in his heart, is plotting treason. He knows that Judas is, has made a plan with the, to, to, to go to the Jewish leaders and, and sell Jesus. He's, he's going to betray Jesus to his death. Jesus knows that. And then he washed Judas' feet. The Son of God washed the feet of the man who was going to betray him to death, though Jesus had done nothing but good to this man. And the question, of course, is why? Why would Jesus do that? Why, being the Son of God, why would you embrace that sort of shame? It's, it's like washing the feet of, of your greatest enemy, the devil himself. How could Jesus do this without bitterness in his heart or, or, or setting his jaw? How, how could he do this with, with joy? And, and John tells us how he did it for the sake of love, having loved his own. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them enough to wash the feet of Judas. You see, love, the love that Jesus has for his, his disciples requires him to humble himself utterly and completely, even to death on the cross. So, so here we find Jesus now embracing the call of the cross. Jesus taking on the humiliation of bearing sin and being judged for sin. He knows the hour has come. It's the hour of the cross. And there he will set aside not his outer garments. He will, he will set aside his very life. He will set aside his honor. He will set aside even his loving relationship with the Father. It will all be set aside as he plunges himself into the abyss of judgment for love's sake. For love's sake. He's willing to humiliate himself completely unto death because he loved his own. The great irony underneath the surface of this story is in, in the context of all that Jesus knows is what the disciples don't know. Jesus explains to them, you don't understand, and, and they don't understand. And Peter, being again the leader, doesn't... Peter doesn't understand it. I just want you to, to imagine, if, if Peter resisted Jesus washing his feet, because Peter knew who Jesus was, and it was an offense to Peter at some level that, that Jesus, being who he is, would wash Peter's feet. If Peter resisted that, how do you think he would have responded if, if Peter knew what was in Judas's heart? As Jesus begins to wash the feet of Judas, if, if Peter knew who Judas was, what would he have said? I think he would have been incensed. Don't do it. Don't you dare wash his feet. He's going to betray you. The devil has already entered into his heart. 
You cannot humble yourself to that extent. You, you, you cannot serve Judas. Don't do it. Not for him. But you see, Peter didn't know the sin in Judas's heart. And he didn't know the sin in his own heart. Because Peter didn't know that in a few short hours, he himself would be cursing, denying that he ever knew Jesus at all, denying that he was a disciple of Jesus, denying everything he knew and believed about Christ in front of a slave girl. So you see, in a real sense, the reason Jesus washed Judas's feet is because the only feet in the room were Judas' feet, the feet of sinners more wicked than they ever imagined themselves to be. Rebels, all of them. And Peter, of course, would deny Jesus, and then the rooster would crow, and, and Peter would realize, maybe for the first time in his life, who he really was, what he was actually made of. And you, and you see, in, in a wonderful way, it was only then that Peter could begin to understand what Jesus did. Because it's only then that he can understand what it means that Jesus loves him. The sinner. Not Peter, the great disciple. Peter, the completely sold out, devoted one. That's how he saw himself. He could not meet Jesus. He could not taste the love of Jesus until Peter was exposed for who he actually was. A desperately wicked man in desperate need of a Savior. Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? It's my treason, Jesus, that hath undone thee. It was I, Lord Jesus. I it was that denied thee. I crucified thee. And Jesus, you did it for me. The rebel, the sinner, the persecutor. You see, that's, that's when we taste the love of Jesus. And there's another wonderful truth here as we see Jesus humbling himself to this extent and washing even the feet of Peter and Judas. Friends, if Jesus would stoop that low, knowing what he knew about those men, then it means that he will stoop for you too. If he will love this deeply and give this much, then there's no reason for you to be lost. No matter what you've done, all that is required is that you acknowledge it, that you see it, that you confess it, and that you let Jesus wash your feet. And you let Jesus give his life for you, the sinner, because he loved you. I don't know if you've ever done that before in your life. If you, if you haven't, this would be a wonderful evening to do it. To come to Jesus not as the person who's trying hard, not as the person who has good intentions, not as the person who believes certain good truths, but to come in truth the person who's denied Christ, the person who has willingly sinned knowing it costs the blood of Christ to forgive you. Knowing that if there's anything good in you at all, it's only because of Jesus and only because of his spirit. 
And so, friends, come tonight to the table of the Lord to taste his love for you, the sinner. His love for you. Because because what we have in the table is a wonderful manifestation that Jesus has given to us of his love for us. A reminder that Jesus knew us, and yet he bore our griefs. He understood us completely, and yet he carried our sorrows. He knew about every sin we've ever committed and ever will commit. And yet he stooped to wash our feet and die our death because he loves us. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, would you wash our feet? Oh, Jesus, thank you that in your grace you show us our need and, and you show us your great, great service as you offered your body in death on a cross and, and your soul to the excoriation of judgment as you bore our sin. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given us the table tonight that we might taste and believe the goodness of God and the love of Jesus for us. And so I pray, Lord, as we come to the table tonight, that your spirit would communicate these things, these truths to the depths of our being, that we stop pretending, that we, uh, Lord, have the, the freedom to confess how great we are in need, and we would have the ability to lay hold of how great is our salvation in Christ. In a way, Lord, that transforms us as we trust the love of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward at this time.